0: Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Talk to Someone podcast, a show where you and I discuss the ins and outs of mental health. If you remember, last week we discussed the beast that is depression. This week I want to talk to you about depression's more subtle, seemingly civilized cousin, anxiety. Like I mentioned last time, one thing that a lot of people do is that they term a temporary ill feeling or bad experience as a clinical illness and this is extremely problematic. Sadness is an emotion. Feeling it due to a bad experience does not indicate depression. Exactly like that, feeling anxious or being stressed out in a particular situation is not anxiety. Stress is of two types. One which is positive, known as eustress. This is a necessary stress. An example of this can be feeling nervous because you maybe have an exam tomorrow. Negative stress is known as distress. An example of this can be feelings of uncertainty regarding, say, finding a job, Prolonged feelings of distress can lead to physiological symptoms as well as what can be termed a burnout. If you remember, we had spoken more about burnouts on episode 1 of this podcast, please feel free to go back and refer to it. Now you may be wondering, Rhea, how do I know if what I am feeling is a feeling or an illness? I have a three-point solution for you. DIE. No, that's that's really not how that sounds. DIE is D-I-E which stands for Duration, Intensity and Effect. Now, let me give you the D. I'm sorry. Duration. How long have these feelings lasted? Remember, documenting is important. When you meet a professional, they ask you certain questions to know more. This process is known as taking a case history. You need to be honest with your therapist for them to be able to help you better. For example, I have been feeling anxious over the past six months. Can you remember when you started feeling this way? What was happening in your life then? Has your situation changed ever since? Have there been periods where the feelings grow or shrink? This information helps your mental health professional develop an accurate prognosis and thus design what they believe will be a fitting course of treatment for you. If you maintain honesty and transparency, it will help you more because it will feel like you are part of the process of healing, which you truly are. Time for the eye. Intensity. Human beings are equipped to feel a spectrum of feelings. Happy, sad, angry, disappointed, surprised, anxious, the list goes on. What classifies a particular feeling as intrusive is the intensity with which it operates. For example, I have been feeling anxious over the past six months. It happens more often than not when I'm stepping in an unfamiliar environment. It gets seemingly worse when I'm around certain people, although I feel slightly better by myself. What you've basically done here is reported in slight detail, which assists your counsellor in asking more specific questions to be able to help you better. The last of the lot is E, which is effect. How do these feelings manifest themselves? For example, I have been feeling anxious over the past six months. It happens more often than not when I'm stepping in an unfamiliar environment. It gets seemingly worse when I'm around certain people. I feel slightly better by myself. The feeling never quite goes away though. And to avoid it, I've taken to smoking cigarettes. I try to stay awake till I absolutely exhaust myself. I have stopped seeing people as often as I used to because I can't get out of bed some days. This is just an example of some things that you can say to your therapist if you're feeling them. This will help them understand three things considered important to provide treatment that would be truly helpful. As a result, they may be able to assist you better and your anxiety may, with time, come under relative control. The past year and a half have statistically hiked the average person's feelings of anxiety and it is fairly self-explanatory why that is. The worries of losing a loved one, one's own life, a job, feelings of insecurity and and you know the rest, you were there. See, stress does not work for the body. Prolonged feelings of stress and anxiety are extremely unhealthy. For example, they affect your physical health. During the height of the pandemic, a number of studies were published which indicated that excessive stress was compromising immunity. Changes in patterns of sleeping and eating, stress of school, university, a job, an interpersonal relationship, your political environment, your financial situation, anything can lead to excessive stress which can be unhealthy. Identifying triggers or stressors is important because this will help you and your counsellor to work together as a unit and to then identify the right course of treatment. Anxiety has various types. Some of these could be panic disorders, obsessive compulsive disorders, phobias, social anxiety disorders, etc. I will cover these specifics on my Instagram page and via written articles to be able to explain them better. For now, let's talk about some of the myths that are associated with anxiety. Myth number one, anxiety is not a disorder. Feelings of anxiousness are normal, like we discussed. Clinically diagnosed anxiety, however, is much different. It is as real as any other illness and its effects are paralyzing and difficult to cope with without assistance. Myth number two, all anxiety is the same. Not at all. Different people have different types of anxiety. They can be caused by different environmental stressors or triggers. Social anxiety, for example, is different than post-traumatic stress disorder, which is not the same as a phobia. Not only are the root causes different, but also the way the disorder is treated and coping mechanisms suggested. All anxiety is not the same. Myth number three, anxiety is a problem mostly for adults. Wrong. Do adults live more challenging lives than children? Yes, but that's clearly not indicative of the fact that children cannot be diagnosed with a mental illness. However, if the child is diagnosed early on, it definitely helps treat the disorder better before the disease makes itself at home. Myth number four, anxiety and depression are unrelated. Bullshit. Actually, anxiety pairs up with multiple disorders, depression being the most common one. Roughly, 50% of the individuals diagnosed with either tend to develop the other. Along with this, anxiety tends to pair up with bipolar disorder, eating disorders, sleep disorders, substance use disorders, the list goes on. Myth number five, my healthy lifestyle will cure my anxiety. You know, this particular myth angers me so much because people have built entire fortunes off of somebody else's condition. All these silent retreats and secret diets and mindfulness and whatever they are packaging and selling as cures are not valid treatments. Your healthy lifestyle could lessen the effects of your anxiety, sure, but it will not cure it. Your anxiety is a disease. It needs medical attention. Physical exercise and having a routine are suggested as tools of maintenance. They are not one-point solutions. Please don't fall for Instagram life coaches or influencers or all of these YouTube babas. Please, find a professional. Myth number six, anxiety can only be treated with medication. Research shows that while medication is helpful, A more successful way is to pair medication with cognitive behavioral therapy known as CBT, especially in the long run. Myth number seven, medication is addictive. No, it's not. Medication is not addictive. And the aim of therapy is to ensure you are being tapered off of medication as soon as your healthcare professional believes you could do well without it. The reason why a disorder develops in the first place is due to an imbalance. Medication aims to treat the said imbalance and thus should be step one to treat an individual along with therapy. The last myth about medication being addictive is largely applicable to all mental illnesses that have medication available as valid treatments. Personally, anxiety affects me in several ways, including physically decipherable ones. But this is not the case with everyone. For most people, it is not evident enough to be recognized by others. Anxiety is the most common mental disorder in the world and this means that different people will have different ways of facing it and coping with it. If you are someone who has a dear one with anxiety, here are a few tips to help you be a better friend to them. Tip 1. Listen. Listening will always be the first tip I give because it is something we need to do most. Talking about what is so stigmatized in society is very difficult. If someone is confiding in you, you need to listen to them and maintain confidentiality. It is important. Tip number two, ask questions without being intrusive. You know, there's a very thin line here because your definition of regular and intrusive questions can be different. I usually solve this problem by first saying, Hey, I have some questions to be able to understand you better. Please don't feel forced to answer them. Let me know when you'd like to stop. This way you are giving them control regarding sharing information about themselves and you are not prying. Remember, nobody owes it to you to explain everything. Caring should not be conditional. Do not push them to reveal information they may be uncomfortable with. Tip number three, ask about their triggers. If you have a friend with, say, social anxiety, for example, there are certain things you need to know so that you don't make them uncomfortable. Maybe if you're inviting them to a party, a sensitive thing to do would be to probably say, You know, there are going to be some people you haven't met before. I hope that would be okay. If you liked, you could give them more information. Work towards not feeling angry if they're uncomfortable. Value their comfort and safety over your own expectations. Learn to reflect. Learn to introspect. Tip 4. Do not dismiss their experiences. This one is a big no-no. Discussing someone's experiences makes them feel less valued, upset, and could force them to stop confiding in you. You may not understand everything they say, which is okay, but that does not mean you neglect the existence of said experience. Empathize to the best of your ability. Ask them how you can help. As I mention every time, caring for someone is very difficult and could make you feel neglected and disturbed. Draw your boundaries and try to stick to them. If you'd like a non-offensive way of laying a boundary, Could be, um, I understand you're having a difficult time, but I cannot get myself to offer assistance right now. Or I can help finding you a professional if you liked. I feel I'm not capable of understanding you in a way that would help you the way I want to. Or I don't think I have the headspace to talk about this with you right now. I'm sorry, would tomorrow be okay? Don't neglect yourself to be able to help one another. If you're having feelings of anxiety or just need a hand with something, remember, seeking help is the bravest and smartest thing you can do. Remember to look out for yourself. Remember to talk to someone.